Welcome to Behind the Post, a podcast discussing all things B2B social media, presented by Octopost. In each episode, you'll hear from creative social media managers who will discuss what really takes place behind social media and how they fuel their own creative process. Listen on for inspiration, tips, and secrets you need to craft your next masterpiece social campaign and engage your audience. Introducing your host, Olivia Messina. Hello, and welcome back to Behind the Post. My next guest has been working in B2B social media for seven years in the manufacturing, data, and IT industries. She currently works as the Senior Social Media Manager at Wipro, where she manages an organic following of over 7 million followers, as well as managing paid social efforts. In 2022, she won the Philadelphia Business Journal's Social Media Star Award for Best B2B Campaign. She lives in Easton, PA, and outside of leading an award-winning social strategy, she enjoys golfing, the beauty industry, traveling, pure bar, and hanging out with her husband, Carlos, her son, Gio, and her eight-year-old, Yorkie Stitch. Without further ado, please welcome to the show, Sam Samoya. Sam, are you ready to go behind the post with me? Yes, I am. Amazing. I'm so excited because... When I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, I was very impressed by your experience and I was very excited to pick your brain and learn about all the amazing things you're doing at WePro. So I always find it super interesting to learn how my guests have broken into the social media industry because I know for a lot of us, it's very different. For example, I used to be a teacher, so I would love to know how you broke into social media and how you found yourself at WePro. Sure. So I went to college for marketing, but when I went to college, I graduated in 2009 and social media was a thing, but social media marketing really wasn't. My career took me a couple different ways. I actually spent a lot of my career in supply chain management, believe it or not. But eventually I was working for a manufacturing company and a position opened up in the marketing department. It was like a digital marketing coordinator. So social media was part of it, but it was like working on the website, pretty much anything marketing that was on a computer screen. And I was doing that for a little bit. And what happened was the other coordinator, she got pulled to work on a website refresh. So I was just asked to gain social media, just keep a flame going, basically. And I was able to take that time. I had a very supportive boss, so I was able to do Hootsuite certification, then just learn more, attend webinars, and just absorb as much information as I could. So I took that time, not just to post things, just to post, but then I was able to develop a strategy and really decide how to use each channel. And then everyone was happy with it. So it ended up turning into a full-time job. So it went from being a coordinator type position. I later moved on to another role where I worked for a more global company and I had a really great mentor. She actually did Volvo cars now. She's fantastic. She's based in Sweden. And yeah, so I, I had the opportunity to learn from good people and had a lot of bosses that allowed me the space to learn. And that was really a big part of where I am today. Amazing. Listen, you have a very impressive track record. And like I said, you manage social at a massive organization. So I would love to know with your experience and what you're doing on a day to day, where do you think B2B brands are missing the mark on social today? So there's a couple of things. I think what it really comes down to is a lot of B2B brands, they push out what they want people 
to read and what they want them to know. And I don't think they really take into account if people are going, if that's what they're looking for, if that's what they're interested in, if that's what's going to get them to stop scrolling. I see so many white papers and white papers, they can be successful, but I think the way you need to position it is just tell the reader, they're not going to read a white paper to do you a favor. You know what I mean? They're not going to click any post because it's, they want to help your numbers. They're going to do it if they see something in it for them. Yes. So what I always suggest is, yeah, so if you could pull a stat or just some kind of tidbit of information that is worthwhile to the person you're following and just make them, give them a reason to read more. Because if you just say, hey, we just did this white paper on, I don't know, manufacturing. Okay. As someone, a manufacturing professional. I see tons and tons of white papers. What is this one in particular going to teach me? What can I use? What is it going to take away? It's a lot of times they're gated. So what am I giving you my information for? Mm-hmm. It's just very much, I think we need to look more at the what's in it for me. And also yeah. brand awareness is a big place where they miss because I follow the B2B Institute, LinkedIn, and they're great. If you're in B2B, they have some really good insights. And they talk a lot about the 95-5 rule. I don't know if you've heard of this, but yeah. Yeah. So 95% of the people who are seeing your content are not in the market for your product. But so that's why the brand awareness is so important. I know I just, I always try to think of myself because like when I am purchasing, say like a scheduling tool or social listening, when I'm first doing that RFP, I do my Google search and I, but I'm mostly going off those brands that. I'm seeing in my feed all the time that come top of mind when I'm trying to compile a list. So in our case, if Wipro is not even, if the client, potential client doesn't even think of Wipro when they think of IT services, then, you know, what does the rest matter? We can't close that deal if we're not part of it to begin with. Yeah, I think a lot of brands today are focused on like the leads that they can get from social and they're too zoned in on that bottom funnel content. Where in reality, most of your audience is not looking to purchase something right now, or they're not even in that stage at all. So it's more about just creating content that they want to see so that when they are ready, they do think of you. And I think for me as a consumer, I go on social media to connect with other people, to learn, to maybe see a funny meme, things like that. And when I am posting as a social media manager, I always ask myself, why would my audience care? And if it's not going to help them in some way, shape or form, it's not going to give them value. It's not going to make them laugh. It's not going to inspire them or make them think differently. Then why would you post it? I think sometimes for me, for example, I will get requests saying, hey, can we get this out on social? And I look at what the request is and I'm like, why would our audience care about this? No one's going to care about this. So you have to always think about your end user and if they would actually care. So I totally agree. Yeah. And that's what I talk to my marketing teams about a lot is, uh, first of all, there's just so much content because the company's so big. So there's some great content that's just not great for social. It's just figuring out a way to deliver that news. That's because people, especially marketing, their content is their baby. They work hard on it and they put a lot of effort into it, a lot of research. I'm careful to make sure they know that their content isn't bad, it's yeah. just not appropriate here. Like sometimes, for example, maybe it's an email list or something or something more specific, but an organic following is just, it, it's very different. Like I always yeah. say to people, nobody follows you 
or read your content because it's the nice thing to do or they want to help you out. Like my mom follows Wipro, you know, to be nice. (laughs) That's about it. Yeah, it's always thinking about what can you give instead of asking your audience, read the white paper, sign up for the webinar. It's shift it to what can you give them? Because it's we're just asking too much of them and then they're overwhelmed and then they get annoyed and we sound spammy and then they unfollow us. So we have to shift exactly. it shift it to more giving. And actually on the Wipro LinkedIn, for example, I was so impressed by the engagement you guys have. And it was actually funny. Last week, I saw a video that talked about on social media, if you want to be inspired or get new ideas, it's more impressive to look at industries that are conventionally a little more like dry and boring, such as like law and banking rather than fashion and beauty, because those industries are tasked with being creative in different ways. And the social Mm -hmm. campaigns that they can come up with and the communities that they can create are next level. And then when you think about the industry they're in, it's a lot more inspiring because like beauty and fashion, I feel like it's a little easier to connect with an audience and build a community around that. So for you guys, I mean, your LinkedIn, the engagement you receive is incredible. So I'd love to know, how do you go about making technology services engaging? If you have a few little tactics or tips, I would love if you could share those. It goes back to, of course, what we were talking about before. I always say, what's in it for me? Thinking about what the followers care about, they don't necessarily want to be sold to. Good thought leadership content. And always, I when I'm writing a post, I always try to lead with the problem. Like I, I'll use um, a consumer product for a good example. If someone posts something like, hey, buy this lipstick, like that's not very engaging. But if someone posts the top 10 longest wearing lipsticks or like some kind of problem you're having and you're promising to solve that, and if your product just happens to be the solution, that's great. But people aren't looking, hey, I need a reason to buy Wipro products. They're looking for a solution to their problem. Yeah. So I always try to think of that. And then more simply, I have been blessed with a very good graphic designer and video person on my team because I just think nice visuals are so important. So even if it's just a few seconds long and it's just something eye-catching, half the battle is just getting people to stop scrolling. It's tempting to just use stock images, especially when you're really busy and that's about all you have time for. But if you can really take time to just have some good branding, some good visuals, get a little out of the box, get a little creative. I know with B2B, people feel like it has to be very, there's not room for creativity and it has to be very straight laced and corporate. And that's not true because the people who are buying these these services, they're humans outside of their jobs. Yeah. And they don't shut that part of their brain off. Totally. And it was actually funny when I first started at Octopost almost two years ago now, the first couple of months we were rolling out an ebook and went to deciding like what we wanted the cover of the ebook to be. And we were talking as a team and we were just so over stock images and they're so just dry. It's not engaging. They're not authentic. So what we actually did is we had a photo shoot and we put me on the cover since I am our social media manager and that ebook was catered towards social media managers. It just felt more authentic that way. And that's such a creative Mm -hmm. way. Step outside the box a little bit, not just grab a stock image. It's just little things like that really can go a long way. So I totally, Mm -hmm. there is so much room for creativity, which I think people don't, when they think of B2B, they don't think that you can actually be 
creative. And I honestly think now after being in B2B, I think it would be more challenging to be in B2C. After what I am doing on the day-to-day now, I feel like I have a lot of creative freedom. Yeah. Like you could look at it two ways. Like some people look at the B2B cycle and since it is a longer cycle and like someone doesn't just go to the store and buy, for the most part, buy software or whatever. There's like an RFP process and there's that on our side, there's the branding efforts we need to do. So you could look at that and say that it's more difficult, but in a way, I think if you know what you're doing and have a strategy, I think it's a little bit better because then you have that opportunity to introduce yourself to the consumer. Whereas a lot of the ads we see for B2C type products, it's just click here to buy. Mm -hmm. So if I see an ad for, I keep using lipstick, sorry, but if I see an ad for a fancy lipstick and it catches my eye, I'm not necessarily going to go back and compare it to a bunch of other products. Like yeah. that, it's more, I don't want to say impulse. That's, that comes with a negative connotation, but they happen to catch my eye at that moment and they got the sale. Yeah. So it, they have their own challenges. I know, I think just working in B2B so long and being used to the cycle, I think I would personally have a hard time with B2C. Yeah. And speaking of a few of the challenges, I know for me, And going back to when I first started, writing content on a global scale is something that really intimidated me because I was a junior at the time, new to B2B, new to the industry, and writing content that had to reach different audiences, different demographics, people with different cultures really intimidated me. And for you, you are speaking to so many different audiences. So I would love to know how do you go about writing content and catering to those different audiences and cultures and demographics? In my case, I'm fortunate to have a large team where I have a copywriter and I have one copywriter. And if you have more than that, it's wonderful. Or if you're writing the content yourself, either way, it's just so important to have that consistent voice because I do receive content from all around the world from people or, and if each region wrote their own content, it would sound very regional. And we, or one of our slogans is one Wipro. So it wouldn't really look like one Wipro if there was content that was very obviously from the UK and then something that was very obviously from the US. Yeah. So I think having someone, whether it's yourself or your copywriter, someone just bring that all together and just tweak it to make sure it all sounds consistent is important. And then of course, with that, just making sure that you're not using like regional sayings and things like that. So you just have to be really mindful of that. And I have a global team, which has been really helpful because it gives me insight on things that are going on in those areas that maybe something will be taken wrong or out of context or is insensitive to a situation that's going on in some part of the world. So I have an employee who's in India and he has a really close pulse on what's going on in Indian news and how the countries, the companies perceived there, because it's very different than how it's perceived in the U.S. Because they're, they're, they're almost like a household name. Everybody knows who they are. So the news kind of, the media keeps a very close eye on what Wipro is doing. Whereas if you stop someone in the street in the U.S., they probably don't even know what Wipro is. And that's, yeah, you know, unless they work in an industry where they're purchasing our services. So it, it helps to... When you have those global counterparts, even if they're not specifically on your team, if they're on a cross-functional team, just really hear what they have to say and take it to mind. Because the way people use social media, even in different regions, depends, it varies based on where you're located. 
And then if there's something that is very specific, it's worth going on social, but is very specific to the region. I do a geo target at times, as much as I try to make everything universal, yeah. there are times when I have to geo target. Interesting. That actually leads me to my next question here. And we touched on this earlier, but working at such a massive company with different departments, how do you manage what makes it to the corporate feed? You have to be comfortable saying no. And that was something that I wasn't comfortable with before I started here and took some practice, but um, no, it's totally okay to say no. And what I like to do is I know like people before me have told me no is a full sentence. That's all you have to tell people. But yeah. I like to maintain those relationships with those people. I don't want to burn bridges. And like I said before, yeah. I don't want people to feel like their content is bad just because it doesn't fit for social. So it's kind of no, but let's offer another option. Mm-hmm. For example, if something doesn't really fit for our social channels, then maybe I'll direct them to our employee advocacy tool. Yeah. And they can share it that way. Maybe it's more appropriate to be shared with people who are closer, by people who are closer to the actual, the subject matter. Yeah. So if you offer other options and just kind of be tactful and maintain that relationship, I think that's important because that particular team might have something that next week that is really relevant and it's going to perform really well. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I agree. It's, I also have trouble saying no, but I have found offering different solutions obviously makes it a lot easier, like putting it on employee advocacy or maybe it's not right for LinkedIn, but maybe we could get a tweet that would be better for that route. So I totally agree. And on this show, we like to get very tactical and I like for my audience to walk away with little tips and tricks that they can implement and use right away. And especially on social, obviously, there are social seasons and engagement ebbs and flows. So for you, are there certain things that you are doing to keep engagement high and reach high? Or is there a protocol that you do when you see that your numbers start to dip? I would love to just know if you have like the little tips and tactics that you have. A lot of people aren't going to like this answer because I know dealing with analytics, unless you're like a specific like analytics type role, a lot of people, it's like the last thing on our list, right? Yeah. We're trying to keep the, uh, things afloat, keep the channel moving, but it really does pay to take a look back at past performance and see what type of posts are performing well and what the common thread is, what the subjects are, because that's great content to pull from when things start to dip and there's not as much activity. You can look at and try to repurpose content or find content that's similar. So say there's a a specific sector of your company where their contact content is really booming, then those are the people that you knock on their door when things are slow and say, what's new? What's going on in your side of things? Like, what could we promote? Uh, And even things like just common threads, does video perform well? I know everyone says video is king, but there are some people that video doesn't perform well for. So I just say, take the time and look at your analytics and try to make some judgment calls based on that. And then from the paid side of things, I just allocate my budget accordingly because I know there are certain times where things are busy and cost per click is going to be really high. So I just try to plan that out before the year starts so that I don't all of a sudden run out of budget at the wrong time. I love that you said that when it comes to looking back on past performance, 
because that is the first thing that I do when I see that our engagements are starting to dip. I see what has performed well in the past and then I create content in line with that. And I know another thing that I've noticed is when our content has been like maybe our engagement is dipping a little bit. I look back and it's always our content doesn't have as many people in it. And I have to switch up my content that puts people at the forefront again, because especially in B2B, I mean, we're in the social media industry, so like we can have a little more fun with it and it's easier mm-hmm. to put our people at the forefront. I think it's always easy to showcase like your employees and highlight your customers. Mm-hmm. But I always find that when we are lacking in the engagement area, it's because we've been maybe getting into the nitty gritty topics and not so much showcasing our people and our community. So I always find that interesting. That's a great point. And I know like a lot of social media managers, I know I've experienced this and other people have, they kind of get some pushback for that people content because it's what, how does that affect the bottom line? You know, whether if our company is out doing charity work, it's hard to put an ROI on that, but people care. People like to know about the humans behind the company when they're making a purchase, regardless of size. And that content, even just for practical purposes, it helps the algorithm. So I love that type of content. I know I'd probably lose my job if that was all we posted, (laughs) but it is important to be in there. Yeah, there is a time and a place for all of the different types of content and they all work together in the end and they all play a different role. And we actually just had an employer branding webinar two weeks ago and there was a stat shared that I'm now thinking about and it was... I believe it was 64% of consumers will stop buying a product or service if they have learned that the employer treats their employees poorly. That there just is a reason to showcase that employer branding and get your employees involved in employee advocacy. So every certain type of content plays a different role. Because I know, for example, like I have heard horror stories about brands treating their employees poorly. And now I'm like turned off by that company. All of this content has a role. And so one thing that I love to ask my guests is the analytics and metric side of social media. And it's so funny because when I ask my guests, what metrics do you think demonstrate success? Everyone has a different answer because everyone's image of success looks different. So for you at Wipro and everything that you are doing and all of the different audiences that you are trying to reach, what are you looking at to demonstrate success on social? So like everyone, I am looking at engagement, but I am careful what type of engagement because I we all see it. There are companies that they do those baby type posts just to get people to comment, even if the comments are negative because you know it's going to boost them in the algorithm. And with a large following like ours, we do get a lot of spam type comments. So having a lot of comments doesn't always equal success for us. But so I think if you're a little deeper than that, um, filter through the comments, see if there's valuable conversation. And then also things like video completion, um, relevant shares, like people who aren't bots, of course, that are sharing. Like for me, a huge win is if someone is to share a post, not just a straight share on LinkedIn, add their own insight. Then like it really resonated with the person and they felt like it was worth dedicating that type of time to it. I think what the common thread here is basically how much time are people devoting to the content? It's easy to just click and pass through. I think some people, I always wonder if there's people that all they do is just scroll through their feed and just like everything. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah. So that's how I look at it from surface level engagement, but then dig a little bit deeper and see what type of engagement there is. I totally agree because you could easily pull up report on your engagement and you could see a huge spike and you could be celebrating like, yay, we have a spike in engagement, we're growing. But then you zoom in and it's a hundred negative comments. So it's always important to zoom in. And I was actually writing a, I wrote a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago about, I had a post that ended up having so many more comments than likes. And I was writing that this is how you know you've made it, that you are getting people to stop and comment. And it is important to look and see if the comments are positive rather than negative. But that's when you know that you are hitting the jackpot where you are striking people and invoking an emotion in them where they feel compelled to stop what they're doing and write a response. So Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And we're nearing the end of the show here. And I have one final question to ask that I ask all of my guests. And that is, what is one thing you wish your colleagues in other departments knew about working in social media? (laughs) Just one. Wow. (laughs) I'm sure I always see like memes about this. There's always like that trope that like something goes wrong on social media. Oh, the intern's getting fired. Yeah. So I I think it's much more complicated than people realize. It's not just passing it off to the intern. Yeah, it's it's not just a nice to have anymore. It's so necessary because in so many cases, potential clients, this is their introduction to the company. People are going to social media before they're going to the website. So it's not just like, we should be here because our competitors are here. It matters. It's not just having a profile, but we're actually putting there because we're introducing ourselves to the customer or we're maintaining a relationship with the customer. The other thing I always tell people is that our job is challenging because we're one of the few positions where our work is out there for everyone to see and to critique. So we can't afford to miss the mark. Yes, I actually was giving a presentation to the Octopus sales and customer success team last year, and I was talking about the different pain points of being a social media manager, and one of them is the pressure of being the voice of your company and often the first touch point, and all of our work is public, whereas a salesperson, mm-hmm. if they are writing an email to a customer or prospect and there's a typo, whatever, it happens, we're human, but if you do that on LinkedIn, for example, then people are screenshotting it. They're sending to you. Everyone knows about it. It's public. Everyone's seeing it. So it's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Actually, for example, the 7 million followers you're posting to, it can be a lot of pressure. And I don't think people always see that sometimes. So I'm grateful that you brought that up because I 100% agree. Yeah. For example, accountants, maybe accounts a bad example because that could be pretty bad. But if you think of any other person in the company, like an, a recruiter writing an email to a potential candidate, I'm sure they make mistakes, but yeah. those mistakes don't go viral <laughs> Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. And depending on the industry you're in, like, for example, we're in the B2B social media industry. And if I make a typo or if we are late answering someone or we don't get back to a comment, someone could easily screenshot that and say they're a social media company and they don't even answer their own comments or they're a social media company and they're having spelling mistakes you can easily ruin the reputation of your brand and it's a lot of pressure and i wish yes everyone would understand that because it would just we there it, there's a lot that goes into it and we're not just scrolling instagram all day and i worked for a manufacturing company where people would message me questions 
And sometimes they were very technical questions that as a social media manager, I'm not qualified to answer, but I have a team of engineers who are. And this is like a consumer should know, really everyone should know, is sometimes those long response times, it may seem like, I I always try to send some kind of message like we're working on this and give a realistic time frame when we'll get back. But a lot of times it's because that person, that social media manager, they're running to the engineer and they're running to someone who is an expert on regulation to make sure they're getting the correct information. Because um, even though we wear a lot of hats, like there's certain things like the government regulations in this case had to do with some of the answers to questions. So as someone who doesn't have the right certifications, which I want to help them, I can't because yeah. I, there's legal implications if I give the wrong information. A lot that goes behind the scenes. Yeah, I. it's so funny because it's so important for everyone to know that when you're going on Twitter and you're complaining, you're talking to the social media manager. You're not talking to the yes. CEO or the person that messed up your order or something like that. And it's so funny. It's leave these social media managers alone. Sometimes people are so mean on Twitter. And I ask myself, do you not realize that you are talking to the social media manager? Just give them grace because they have a lot of requests and they're just, they're doing the best they can. It's leave them alone. Yes. (laughs) I always feel like that. (laughs) I'm sorry. You said one thing I keep coming up with more, but related to that of other departments, If there is something like a price increase or a policy change or something like that coming up, I know this never happens, but ideally keeping your social media team informed of that. And so that that way they can prepare responses. They can work with the team and have responses ready and direct them to the right place. Really help potential blow up, uh, diffused a little bit. Yeah, that communication and alignment is so important. And I think anyone that is in a social media position, I feel like sometimes they have to advocate for that. And it's not always, social media isn't always looped in from day one. So I think that's something that's really important to advocate for if you're not involved in those decisions or those changes. It's really important to understand what's going on so that you can handle those situations and redirect people appropriately. And I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we had a an amazing conversation and I know I'm walking away with a lot of new tips and ideas. So thank you so much for joining me behind the post. Yes, thank you for having me. This was so fun. Thanks for going behind the post. If you love today's show, let's get social and continue the conversation. Reach out on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn and tag at Octopost. If you don't want to miss a single episode, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more free social media tips and resources, check us out at octopost.com. See you next time.